can go ahead and open them to 1 Peter chapter number 2. We are in a series, and the series has this theme, this title. It's about suffering. It's about Christian suffering. But what we find in 1 Peter is that suffering also has an association with ultimately glorifying God. And today we're going to talk about the subject of authority. Who's in charge? You? We live in a society today where everybody wants to stick it to the man. We, we take a stand. We're going to fight for our rights. I mean, I get it. You teenagers, you're, you're, I'm going to get your attention. Walk over here and you'll feel like you should be listening. Okay, so the teenagers, I know you're not, you're not trying to be rebellious. I get it. But it is in your culture. It is. It's in your culture to, you're thinking you're too old to know our culture. I, I have teenagers. Um, it, it's, you're just not cool if you're not rebelling against somebody somewhere, somehow. You're, you're trying to find your identity, and whoever's in charge is not as smart as you, granted. And, you know, so, so you, you kind of chart your course by, you know, saying, well, if that's what you say, then I, by definition, am going to say something else. And so you find that, you know, it may degrade to the point where, you know, my teachers are stupid and my parents don't have a clue or whatever it is in your world, I don't know. But that's the danger of the pressures of the society that cause us to fight the man, whoever that is. Whereas most of you adults, if I were going to, you know, pick the scab off your wound... It might be, you're so outraged by the current political climate that you're already checking Zillow for property prices in Toronto. <laughs> I mean, it just is getting under your skin. But what you need to understand is that the entire story of God I can't overstate this. The entire story of God can be summed up in one word, and it's authority. It's always about authority. Now, I get it. Just hearing this introduction kind of messes with you a little bit. I mean, you're probably squeezing your posterior muscles just a little bit extra, worried about what I'm going to say. God has placed several human authorities in our life as a test of our attitude toward God. Let that sink in for a minute. Because this is the message. We're going to talk for 45 minutes. We're going to get to a conclusion. And at the conclusion, this is what you're going to see from what we're going to talk about. God has placed. God has placed. Not every single one that says that they're in charge, but particular authorities that he has defined in our lives for a reason. The ult- many reasons, but the ultimate reason is to test your ultimate authority or submission to God's ultimate authority. That's what it's there for. So, similar to the idea of loving God, you know, in 1 John 4 and verse 20, it basically says that if you can't find it in yourself to love the brethren, other Christians, who you can see, don't kid yourself into thinking that you actually love God who you can't see. And so it is with submission to authority. If you can't find it in yourself to submit to the authorities, the human authorities that God has established that you can see, don't kid yourself into thinking that you're truly submissive to the ultimate authority of God in your life. You, you can't. So today's message is very practical. And the title I've given it is Your Attitude Toward Authority. And we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Follow along as I read. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man uh, 
for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously." Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Let's just let that marinate for a second. Let's talk to the Lord. And Heavenly Father, as we come before your holy word, and we are in your presence and We ask for your Holy Spirit to be our guide and teacher, and we pray that we would be submissive to your truth. We pray that at every step of the way and every word that we study, and as we deconstruct what you have written down, that you would give us wisdom, and that each and every one that might find that area that your Holy Spirit puts his finger on saying this could use a little work that they would have the courage and the honesty to admit it that they would submit their hearts to you as supreme and therefore as a result take care of whatever business you would point out that needs to be taken care of we are so thankful and submitting to you Lord doesn't seem to be a problem because you would never do us wrong. Submitting to others, on the other hand, is tricky. But you tell us to do it. So we ask for your guidance and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, there's a few different areas that we see as we break down this passage. And the first area dealing with authorities are governmental authorities. It's very clear in the context from verses 13 to 17. And it begins by saying, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. Somebody else is not forcing you into submission. They are not beating you into submission. You yourself are to willingly submit yourself. Lay down the fight. Put down the arms. Be done with it. Submit yourselves. You as Christian people are not forced into this kind of a thing. God asks it of you freely. So you are to submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Every ordinance of man. So an ordinance, by definition, is just any rule established by an authority. So we could say the laws of the land, for example. And that's the first area that we're going to address, human government, letter A. So this is the literal application, that we are to obey the laws of the land. Now, I'm sure that all of you here today understood that before you came here. Uh, Whether you're doing a good job of that or not, you know down deep inside that you're supposed to obey the laws of the land. I mean, as a Christian, you you should always obey all the laws of the land. Is that not what it says? Every ordinance of man, that's what it says. Now, I know how your mind works because I know how my mind works. And let me just share with you how my mind works so that I can put to rest those of you that have your mind working this way. There's got to be an exception, right? There's got to be an exception. And there is always an exception. And you're thinking, great, because I'm leveraging that thing, man. There's only one exception. 
to not obeying every ordinance of man. And that is when, please listen very carefully, when the ordinance of man, when the laws of the land require you to disobey God, then we submit to a higher authority. But let me clarify that for you very briefly. Because in most cases, in almost every case, in very rare instance, in fact, I am currently not aware of an area where the the laws of the United States of America require you to sin. I'm not aware of it. So you may get incensed for good reason that our country allows abortion. That really bothers me. But can I just tell you that the fact that they allow other people to do it does not require you to do it, right? So we can vote and hopefully change the laws, but we are to obey every ordinance of man, every single one. And in the rare event, in cases like I have witnessed when I lived in Albania, for example, there may be some laws that require you to sin. You may just think in your mind about the days of Daniel, where they passed the law and said, you'll not pray to any other God. And Daniel said, well, sorry, I'm praying to God. And if there be consequences, there be consequences. And if you're going to throw me in the lion's den, well, that's up to God. And, and then and only then would you have the ability to say, you know, okay. But other than that, friends, you're not allowed to pick and choose. If you don't like the laws, if you don't agree with the laws, you can vote, you can run for office, you can pray, but civil disobedience... It's still disobedience. Keep that in mind. And listen, I know, I know, our political system is messed up. I mean, it's jacked. And, and I know that your vote doesn't really matter, especially if you live in Pennsylvania. I mean, it's bad, man. And the taxation system is corrupt, and the Supreme Court doesn't interpret the laws. They make the laws, and I get it you still have to obey them all. That's what the Bible says. And it says, for the Lord's sake. You see that? For the Lord's sake. In other words, you have to obey every ordinance of man, not just as unto the Lord, but you have to obey every ordinance of man because the Lord told you to. So for the Lord's sake, even those laws that you don't like, even when the Supreme Court makes laws they have no business making, even when, well, you have to submit to those. You have to. And so many people's response is, listen, man, you don't understand how evil our government leaders are. And I would remind you who the government leader was in Peter's day when he wrote this. It was Nero, the emperor of Rome. Nero, friends, was way crazier and much, you know, more godless than anybody we've ever had leading this country. He was crazy. Nero fornicated with his mother, slaughtered his subjects, and set the capital city on fire to burn down to the ground. Y'all can complain all you want about what we got going on here. But if you honestly think that we got it that bad, you're naive. You haven't traveled much around the world. So a lot of Christians get on the bandwagon where they say, well, we are strict constitutionalists. We're the libertarians. If it's the the constitution of the land, that's what it was intended to be. That's what the founding fathers wanted. The things that they're doing are not constitutional. Can I just help you out a little bit? Can I just tell you that unless a people are governed internally by God, there is no form of government that will suit a sinful man. Do you understand that? And that when our country was founded, the whole attitude of the world over 200 years ago, especially the people that came here to flee religious persecution was a very God-focused attitude across the board of our society and is no longer. Why are you surprised? 
I mean, on one hand, we're excited that we're near the end and Jesus can come back, but you not read that how it's going to be at the end before Jesus is going to come back? So understand that even though the true rule of the land is the Constitution, well, the powers that be that are ordained of God have changed it. Sorry. Vote. What should we do? Well, first off, you leave the judgment to God. That's what you do. That's what you are to do, Christian, right? Go down, you go down to verse 23, and the context is the Lord Jesus, but it's the same idea in this passage where it says, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That's what Jesus did, right, when he suffered unjustly. Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Listen, God is fully capable of taking the kings of the earth and pointing them in whatever direction they need to be pointed to accomplish his ultimate purpose. So leave the judgment to God. What else are you supposed to do? Well, you should have faith and pray. That's what you should do. 1 Timothy chapter 2, first two verses. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So what is the biblical prayer request that you are to have for your governing authorities in the land in which you live? Well, biblically, it is not, which by the way, this would be a fine prayer request, but biblically in this verse, it is not pray that they get saved, which pray they get saved. I mean, that's fine. But it says, pray for all men and pray for kings and all that are in authority for this end. Here's your biblical prayer request concerning the government. That they would just pass laws that allow us to live our lives in honesty and peace and quiet and godliness. Just, just gov- hey, government, just pray to God, Lord, direct them so that they basically just leave us alone. Let us do our thing. And, you know, the details then become the details. Verse 14 then says, or unto governors. Well, a governor is one with a delegated authority under the king. He's delegated the authority to enforce the laws. Joseph in Egypt, case in point. Joseph was called the governor over Egypt, under the king who was Pharaoh, right? So Joseph has a delegated authority from the king. For us, basically, it would be law enforcement. So for us, it would be the police. If you were to compare Paul's version of this same narrative, you would go to Romans chapter 13 and the first five verses. Do we have Romans 13? And so you can see Paul's version, basically the very same thing where it says the powers that be are ordained of God. That means the pow- if the powers are ordained of God, then that power becomes an ordinance. Because an ordinance is one who is ordained. Something ordained of God is an ordinance. And so that's what we're supposed to do. The governors have a twofold job, as defined in these verses. And you will find that they do one of them fairly well. And that is to punish evildoers. The other thing they're supposed to do is to praise well-doers. And so, I don't know when the last time you were driving down the road and got pulled over and the policeman just said, just wanted you to know I thought you were doing a great job. <laughs> I'm not sure when that happened last. I can't recall a time that that's ever happened. Uh, I, I assume that there are times when the government will give away awards for outstanding citizens, I guess. You know, that's cool. Uh, but generally speaking, they're around to catch everybody who's messing up, right? And generally speaking, they do a pretty good job of that. That's what they're supposed to do. That is their God-given responsibility. And since everyone's lives matter, don't fight the man. Submit as unto the Lord. Because submitting to authority, right, verse 15, is God's will. Submitting to authority is God's will. For so is the will of God. What is the context? Well, submitting to these authorities, to the king, to the governors, so is the will of God. 
In other words, listen, Christian, you should never, ever allow anybody to justly accuse you of wrongdoing, of breaking the law, of being a criminal. There's no room for a Christian to ever allow somebody to... Now, they can accuse you, but not justly accuse you, right? And when your life is above reproach, then it says you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Well, who are the foolish men? In the context, the foolish men are those who want to rebel against the authorities. And you put to silence the ignorance of the fools by proving that it can be done by submitting with a willing heart for the Lord's sake. Your life stands out. You're different. In verse 16, it says, As free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. So obviously, you are free. You have liberty. So in Christ, it's speaking to Christians, right? You are free in Christ. That's what Galatians 5.13 says. But at the same time, the Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 6.20 that you're a slave. So on one hand, you're free in Christ, and on the other hand, you're bought with a price. So which is it? Because this is a paradox of the Christian life. Well, 1 Corinthians 7.22 clarifies it for you. Notice, for he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. In other words, if you came to Christ, and literally at that time, if a person was a bond slave and they came to Christ, they found their freedom in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they get the balancing perspective of the other side of their life that was missing. The person who comes to the Lord like all of us, we're free in our society, thank the Lord. We come to the Lord and we understand that he paid the price for our sin and we thankfully receive that. We become the Lord's servant. And as a result, we receive the balancing perspective of our other, the other side of our identity, which was free. So what's the answer? Yes. The answer is both. The answer is yes, you're free and yes, you are his servant. And so you need to know when to exercise which one. That's the important thing that you have to keep in your mind. Listen, your master that bought you with Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, although you have liberty in Christ, tells you explicitly that it's his will for you to obey all of the ordinances of man. Okay, got it? It's pretty easy, right? I mean, this is, this is easy. Be a model citizen. It's the Christian thing to do, no doubt. Okay, so we're going to move on to a more comprehensive level now, and we're going to make the proper spiritual application. So letter B, church government. Church government. This will be the spiritual application of what we're looking at here. Because in the scriptures we find that Christ, he has a kingdom, right? His government is what we would call a theocracy. A theocracy is when Jesus is king, God is in charge, right? It's not a democracy, it's not a communistic, socialistic setup. It's a kingdom. He's the king. He's the sovereign. And he's God. The Greek word theo would be God, a theocracy. He's ruling over his church, his people. We are a peculiar people. We saw that last week. The supreme law, you know what that is. That's the Bible. The supreme law is the word of God. Now, understood. It has to be rightly divided. It has to be understood in context. You can't just wrest the scriptures out of their context and say it's the supreme law. And he sets up governors, and the governors are pastors. Uh, it talks about Jesus Christ, ultimately, in verse 25, as the shepherd, capital S, and bishop, capital B, of your souls. But Jesus delegates authority to small s shepherds and small b bishops to oversee the details of his current spiritual kingdom the kingdom of God. And so the governors over the kingdom of God have a twofold job, I would say, one of which they do pretty good. And in this case, the one that they do better is praise of those who do well, and the one that doesn't always get done that well is punishment of evildoers. And so we're in church. We're all about encouraging and helping and praising 
But when somebody steps across the line, which would be an element of church discipline or something like that, that's a very rare occurrence that you see that sort. It happens, but it's a very rare occurrence that that sort of thing happens. The church has two ordinances. Now, the ordinance of the church, and they're in your notes, they're baptism and the Lord's Supper, and thank God for those three that were obedient unto the Lord, and the ordinance of baptism today. What a wonderful thing that was, to just witness and participate. Man, that's cool. But the ordinances of the church are here to help you grow. The, The ordinances are not prerequisites for obtaining salvation, because in the government of the kingdom of God, you're not even in the kingdom of God if you hadn't been saved. But once you, I mean, you're, you're in the kingdom after you're already saved. Now that you're in the kingdom of God, now you are under, right, the ordinances of that kingdom as administered by the governors. And so you have baptism and you have the Lord's Supper. And it is God's will that you participate in these ordinances. So let me just encourage you, church, if you're here and you would say that you absolutely know that you've surrendered your heart to the Lord Jesus, you know you've received him as your personal Lord and Savior, but you have never submitted to the ordinance of baptism. The waters don't wash away your sin. Your faith, the blood of Christ, washes away your sin. Okay, But he still tells you to do it. So have you been avoiding water baptism? Well, just let us know. Put that on your connection card. We'll help you get to where you need to get so you can do that. Well, what about the Lord's table? What about when we share in communion? Typically, when we schedule a communion, it comes around quarterly, something like that. And typically, we'll have a service on a Sunday evening. Now, this house is fairly well full this morning. We have a significantly smaller crowd when we have the Lord's Supper evenings. So if you happen to be one of the people that don't frequently come to those things, I mean, would you consider the fact that this is an ordinance of the church? This is God's will for you to participate. This is a very important memorial that we participate for the cleansing of our souls just to get our hearts right with the Lord and clear off a space and thank him for what he did for us. When he suffered and his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us, and we come and we remember, and it's refreshing. When's the last time you participated in the Lord's Supper, Christian? These are ordinances that God has established in his kingdom, and we are to submit ourselves willingly to all of these things. Now, like in verse 16, of course you're free. Of course you have liberty. Of course you don't have to obey the Bible and follow the directions of your spiritual governors. But it says in verse 16, not using your liberty for a cloak, a veil of maliciousness. We reference Galatians 5.13. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So you have freedom in Christ. And praise God, aren't you thrilled? But he says, don't take your freedom and use it as your excuse to be malicious, or to be sinful. Because if you're doing that, what you're doing is you're hiding behind a cloak, and I might add a very thin cloak. And he says, man, don't don't do that. That's not helpful. You don't have to obey the Lord. Don't you want to? Verse 17. I think these statements... Don't require a lot of commentary, so I won't give it. Honor all men. It's just the right thing to do. It's the sanctity of human life. Everybody deserves dignity and respect. Love the brotherhood. This is hard sometimes. So that would mean, how about this? Don't hate them. Is that deep? You got that? Love them means don't hate them. Don't judge them. Don't gossip about them. Don't fight with them. Don't rail on them. Fear God. He's watching. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Fear God. 
and honor the king. Honor the king. Sometimes you say, I can't. Well, how about this? This'll, I'm here to help you. Honor the office if you can't honor the man. Honor the office. In the military, I've heard, I, I was never in the military, they say, you salute the uniform even if you know the officer in the uniform may be corrupt. You salute the uniform. That's what they're talking about. Honor the king. I, I wish more people would understand that. I wish more Christian people understood that. That would be the literal governmental understanding and coming through the spiritual application as well. Number two in your notes, occupationally. Let's look at verses 18 to 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Every time I typed that, it auto-corrected to forward. But it's not forward. It's froward which literally means perverse or unyielding. So this whole discussion in our application, there were literal servants that were owned by their masters back then, but we can make a fair application to your role in employment. Okay, so your boss at work, for example. And this whole discussion about how you're supposed to act at work seems to point to bad bosses. (laughs) I mean... If you got an awesome boss, I mean, you know, life's easy, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to submit to that guy. And so you might say, like a lot of people have to say, man, you don't understand how unfair my boss is at work. And let me just encourage you that, well, maybe God allows it on purpose to test you. Maybe just to show everybody around you, how real Christians behave when they're under pressure. Maybe there's lost people you work with that have heard you talk about the Lord, and they know what the common boss is and who he is and how he behaves, but your response is very different from their response, and it gets their attention. You don't know all the reasons why those things are, so why don't we just make it real easy and obey what God says? And let him take care of it. That's what his intention is. I mean, what are you supposed to do if your boss is froward? What if he treats you unfairly? What if he overworks you? What if he doesn't keep his word about things? What if he's too demanding? What if he doesn't compensate you properly? Well, submit to him anyway. That's what it says. Submit to him anyway. It doesn't say, servants, be subject to your godly masters. It says, be subject to your masters. And if you'll do that, it says, verse 19, this is thankworthy. This is thankworthy, right? Submitting anyway. When you're enduring grief, when you're suffering wrongfully, man, thanks are given to God for such a behavior. And the beginning of verse number 20, what glory is it when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. So if you suffer some consequence at work because you're a lame employee, well, you know, sorry. You deserve it. And if, and if pressure comes on you because of your poor performance and you find yourself taking it patiently, well, good. That's what you're supposed to do. There's no extra glory for you. There's no extra rewards You brought that on yourself. You ought to take it patiently. So the Bible gives us a three-step plan for glorifying God in our lives. And it comes right out of verse 20 where it says, But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So our little formula is do well and suffer and take it patiently. And that equals being acceptable with God. It's just that simple. So you do well, and when the circumstances happen to come that, you know, the ceiling falls in on you, and it's not your fault, you got nothing to do with it, it just happened, you're a victim of circumstances, you were doing well, they crashed in on you, you take it patiently, now, now you got the Lord's attention. Now the Lord says, 
Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Good job. That's what I needed. I needed a testimony. Glance back with me in chapter 2 and verse number 5 when we were getting our identity. And it says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You remember that? And last week we talked about how we are this holy priesthood, this royal priesthood, and our job is to offer spiritual sacrifices, which God approves of. He, he loves to see that. What a great attitude. Well, let me ask you, would you consider it a sacrifice if you do well and suffer and it's not your fault, but you don't cuss back and fight back and you just take it patiently? Would you consider that kind of a response a sacrifice? I think so. That's acceptable with the Lord. That's, that's, that's a sacrificial act of, of service to the Lord that, man, he's well pleased with. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Why? That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Wow. Blaspheming the name and the doctrine of God. If you don't subject yourself to your masters, even if they're not godly. Why? Because, y'all, authority is the theme of all of God's revelation to us. Authority is the one issue that he wants each and every one of us to get down in our lives. Authority is the one thing that we have to prove before the Lord. That's why if you blow that... It's like blasphemy. Titus 2, 9 and 10. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Why? That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. To adorn is to put on display. And so your attitude towards authority either puts God's holy doctrine on display or it blasphemes it. So, understand, similar to governments, God will deal with froward masters. That is his job. You don't have to deal with it. That, my friends, is above your pay grade. It is above our pay grade to think that we have to enact some kind of a judgment on somebody who is over us in an authoritative structure, specifically in the areas that the Bible defines as God-ordained authoritative structures. Do you understand that? Ephesians 6, 9. And ye masters now, God's dealing with the masters now, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him. Listen, Master, you treat your servant badly if you're a Christian. You think you're going to get away with it? Oh, no, God is watching. Colossians 4.1, parallel passage. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master, capital M, in heaven. James 3.1, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Don't be in a hurry to be the guy who's in charge. Because there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that. And so, occupationally, everybody works for somebody, basically. Make sure that you do it well. If you happen to suffer, take it patiently. As unto the Lord, just trust Him. Let Him handle it. That's His will for our lives. That's what He wants for us. The third point, dispensationally. Dispensationally. That's a big word. In this case, and from verses 21 to the end, it's not so much of an issue of delegated human authority in our lives as it is submission to your calling. So I put in your notes, dispensationally, in this time of the church age, the church is Christ's body. Therefore, we have a similar calling as the Lord Jesus Christ, in other words. 
So in the Bible, we have many things that a Christian is called or called to do. And I have a rapid-fire list for you. In the Bible, Christians are called to be saints in 1 Corinthians 1. In 1 Corinthians 1, they're also called to fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians 1, they're called to the grace of Christ. In Galatians 5 that we saw, they're called unto liberty. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 9, they're called to render a blessing. In 2 Peter 1, they're called to glory and virtue. In 1 Timothy 6, they're called to eternal life. In Romans 8, 29 and 30, they're called to conform, be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, Christians are called to a lot of things. Well, here in 1 Peter, we're called to suffer. We're called to suffer. Uh, if you reference the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, shortly after his conversion in verse 16... He was called, literally, in his ministry that would include suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what it says. It says, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, in verse 21. Jesus Christ suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Now, when it says that we should follow in the steps of Christ, obviously, it does not mean the literal circumstances about his earthly ministry because Jesus' earthly life and ministry was that of an Old Testament pork-abstaining Jew living under the law of Moses. That is not what we are called to do. What areas then are we called to follow the steps and the example of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I have in your notes specifically from verses 22 and 23, four areas to follow in Christ's example. And they, they all refer to things in the negative. In other words, you're going to follow Christ's example by resisting the temptation of responding in the flesh. And so instead of just responding in the flesh the way that you would normally think of doing, you're going to resist that and you're going to not do certain things that otherwise would be natural for you to do. So as a result, you are going to rather submit to your calling. The first thing is, don't sin. Don't sin. You want to follow Christ's example? This is a great way to start. Don't sin. Oh, by the way, if you do that, everything else takes care of itself. I mean, everything else is just perfect, right? So don't sin. It says, who did no sin. That's your goal. Well, that's a high goal. Yeah, of course it's a high goal, but it is the goal. 1 John 2 and verse 1, right? That's what it says. I mean, I write these things unto you that ye sin not. I mean, that's the goal. So you say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, why don't you try? I mean, why don't you try and see if you cannot sin? Now, I'm not, I'm not even kidding here. For five minutes. Which, by the way, sin includes thoughts, by the way. That's why it's hard. Okay, and you know, you, you might not make five. And then, then you say, oh, I made five minutes. All right. We'll go for ten. Right? And then just, you know, I mean, just how far can you go? I mean, okay, you're going to blow it eventually. Okay, we'll start over and do it again. I mean, how am I supposed to follow Christ's example? Well, how about don't sin? That's a good start. Verse 22, how about don't deceive? No guile was found in his mouth. What is guile? Guile is double talk. Guile is deception. Guile is saying something you don't really mean. Guile is leading people to believe something that is not true. No guile in Jesus' mouth, so don't deceive anybody. Don't live that way. Third one, don't revile. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. He didn't fight back. He didn't lower himself to the level of fighting back when he was attacked. And so... They spoke very evilly of him. He didn't do that. And lastly, don't threaten. When he suffered, he threatened not. Don't threaten. He suffered wrongfully. He didn't seek revenge. What did he do? Well, we looked at it. He committed himself to him that judges righteously. So look, man, God will take care of it. You don't need to. Think about it. If God has given himself the job description to handle evil authorities over you. And if you try and usurp that job and take, it's like, I got this one, Lord, I got this. You'd never say that, but say you said that. Because in your mind, you're thinking it. 
You know what you're doing? You're interfering with his plan. You know what that means? You're going to mess it up. Because let me just tell you something. I, I don't understand anti-Semitism. I mean, I don't understand it. I mean, why would somebody decide that they're going to hate the Jews and therefore see what we can do to stick it to the Jews? When God himself is going to judge Israel in the tribulation. I mean, you think you can do a better job than that? I mean, he's got a plan to do what he's going to do with each of us. He is no respect to persons, remember that? And so, you don't really, look, if deep, deep down you want to get that guy, well, here's your, here's your godly answer. Hands off. Let God do it. Let God do it. Because whenever that time is, here's the problem. Here's the problem is, God's not going to do it in your time frame. That's the real problem. Yeah, but God's watching. He's got to figure it figured out. He'll work it out. Oh, and by the way, we don't, we don't really, I mean, come on, Christian. You don't really want justice for everybody, do you? You don't really want justice. I mean, you, what you want is mercy. You don't want, who wants justice? Well, we want justice for the people we don't like. <laughs> That's what we want. Okay, fact, Jesus suffered unjustly. Of course. Verse 24 says, he bore our sins in his body. That wasn't his fault. But can I just pretend like I'm speaking for all of us when I say, we don't get too upset about that? (laughs) We're not too upset that he suffered unjustly for me. Why? Because I'm the benefactor. Man, I'm so thankful. I mean, I hate it for him, but I truly, man, we benefit It says in verse 24 and 25, there's sheep going astray, but now are returned. That's our story. We were all sheep going astray. But because he bore our sins on his body on the tree, we're all returned to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. He suffered unjustly. So the other fact is that we too are called to suffer for others' benefit. You have to see that. Because our calling as the body of Christ in this dispensation is to enact Christ's ministry. Now, we're not dying on the cross for anybody's sins. That's a once-and-done deal. But your unjust suffering is going to be a part of your new life in Christ. So it's just better if you just settle it in your mind once and for all. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 20, Remember the word that I said unto you. In other words... There's going to come a time when I'm not with you, and I want you to remember this. I'm saying it now, and I want you later to recall what I'm saying. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they've persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. And if they've kept my sayings, they'll keep yours also. So there'll be a segment of the population that'll keep my sayings. Oh, they'll treat you good too. There'll be a bigger segment that won't. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. 2 Timothy 3.12, in my opinion, is the verse that proves that man could not possibly have written the Bible. What man would ever write 2 Timothy 3.12? Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We would write it differently, wouldn't we? Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus have wonderful lives. That's the way we'd write it, right? That's not what God said. So just settle it in your mind, man. Quit fighting it. I mean, why would God do that? Why would he call us to suffering, just so that we have miserable lives. He's the cosmic killjoy. Man, God is just here to ruin our fun. No, God is here to just see how, see how willing we are to suffer the grime and the dirt and the junk to prove our loyalty to him. No, none of that. Absolutely none of it. Not one bit. Occasionally, again, don't forget, he bore our sins in his body. So occasionally, we might have to bear others' sins in our body, which is hard. But if you do it right, hopefully, you open the way so that they can return to the shepherd and bishop of their souls. If you had you know, the secret God glasses to see things the way he sees, and if you knew that your bad treatment would ultimately lead 
to somebody's salvation, you think you could buck up and say, okay, I got, I'll do it. I'll do it. I see the end. The problem is we don't have the special glasses. We don't know exactly how it's going to work out. So the question is, can you trust God to work it out anyway? That's what he told us to do. Look, let me just encourage you with this and we're done. You can do this. You can do this. Or maybe let's modify it. You in yourself can't do it, but the Lord through you, you can do this. You really can. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, which encompasses being called to suffering, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We can do it. And I like to remind myself of Hebrews 12, first four verses. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And and verse 4, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I'm not trying to diminish the real suffering you go through. I'm not. But I mean, come on, let's keep it in perspective. There have been people throughout history who have strove unto blood. Probably not any of us here probably not. Philippians 3 and verse 10 talks about Paul crying out how he wants to know God better. And a part of that is what is called the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And so you want to have fellowship with Jesus? You got to have some stuff in common. Jesus suffered wrongfully. You're going to suffer wrongfully. First Peter teaches us about that. But if you do it right, man, you give God glory for it. And he'll use you. It's an amazing thing. Let me summarize with this. Your willing submission to human authority as delegated by God reveals your attitude towards God's authority. And so if you view your struggles as an opportunity to prove to God that you really love him enough and are submitted to him, you know what's going to happen? You're going to find the strength necessary to then endure patiently whatever suffering you're going through. It's a matter of perspective, and you can overcome. You absolutely can. So I don't know where God has you in your heart right now, but I'm going to take a second, we're going to pray, and we're done. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to give you a chance to respond. And maybe you're here and you'd say, wow, I don't know if I've ever really received Christ and boy, I want to do that. Man, there's no greater time than right now. You can do that. 